Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator. You're no longer here to sit down. And so this entire place here, the 50, 60 members that signed up are now 50, 60 ministers in God's kingdom. Amen? So, so it's not like, we're, you know, we're, we're not building a kingdom with two leaders here. With two, No, all of a sudden there's 60 leaders up in this place. Amen? And all of a sudden, guess what? Then there's new ministries because God has given new visions to people. Right? Like visions that, you know, I wanted a dance ministry, but, but probably not a good idea for me to run that. Amen? Anybody second that? Probably, probably, I'm even willing to admit I might lack the anointing for that ministry. Amen? And I'm okay with that. I mean, I wish, but anyway. You understand what I'm saying? So when God, so, so we're here because God is putting vision in, in us. And, and so there's ideas that you have that I've never even thought of. And so now when you add 50, 60 ministers to the team, all of a sudden we got new things to do. Amen? All right, so be excited about that, please. And, and by be excited about that, I don't mean, you know, pray for us while you're watching American Idol at home. I mean, I mean, get involved, amen? Get those four classes under your belt and get started on something. Aren't you tired of just sitting? Anybody? I would be, I would, I, I, you know, everybody says I have ADD, ADHD, all that. Amen, it works for me. But I can't stay still. If I had to sit still like you guys, I'd lose my mind. So, so that's why I'm here, and, and I pray that there's a bunch of you with that. I don't pray ADHD on any of you, but, but I pray in the spirit that you can't stay still. You've got to do something. Amen? Otherwise, church is boring. All right, let's get that out of the way. All right, you can start recording now. Hallelujah. All right, all right. I want to start with a quote that I came across, of course, right? Joel Osteen starts with a joke. I start with a quote. That's just how we roll. <laughs> So this quote I came across a while ago, I got it hanging in the school, I got it hanging in my office. It's just something about it that it just sat right with me and it just felt right. It's from my brother Nelson Mandela. And he says this, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. It is, it, it is our light, not our darkness that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, to be gorgeous, to be handsome, to be talented, to be fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. I like that. Your playing small, your acting humble, your playing yourself does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Come on, this is getting good. Last sentence. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence liberates others. That didn't have the effect I thought it would. As our presence liberates others. Our presence, as we're liberated, 
Amen? As I'm liberated, you're liberated because you're in my presence. Do you understand that? Our presence liberates others. Isn't it something, isn't it a coincidence that the Word of God says, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom? Right? And then, and then, you know, if we understand the whole salvation thing, if we've prayed and we've asked God for forgiveness and we've surrendered to Him, and, and you know, then the Word says that the Spirit of God is in us, doesn't it? It says that, that we're the walking, talking temple of the Holy Spirit. So, if where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and if the, the Spirit of the Lord is in me, then where I am, there is freedom. Do you understand the math? Amen? It's not complicated, right? So, you know, if that's the case, where we are, there is freedom. How come some of us, so many of us are still hung up on stuff? There must be something wrong. Because we should be running around in, in, uh, in kilts with a, with, a, with a sword like William Wallace and Braveheart yelling, Freedom! And liberating people. Amen? I don't believe that. Because you don't just go, Amen. If you believe that, you know, I don't know, I would have to stand, yeah! All right, then, sorry. I would have to just, just get crazy, right? Because, I mean, if the Spirit, I mean, that's like the whole message. You, should, you can leave after this. The Spirit of the Lord is inside us, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You don't need more than that. Go home. Go do something. Go liberate somebody. Amen? Nobody's leaving, so I'll keep talking. All right. So, I know we've talked about freedom from religion. We've talked about freedom from um, um, religious people. We've talked about freedom from control, freedom from manipulation. Amen? But I want to focus today on more than that. I want to focus on total liberation. Man, y'all are dead. Can bring a case of Red Bull back in here and just hand it out to people. I believe, see, that, that, that we can be so liberated that our presence will liberate others. I believe that. I, I've seen it. It's, it's all through the scriptures. It says that we're the salt of the earth, that we're the light of the world. It says in 2 Corinthians, we've been reconciled with God, and God has made us ministers of reconciliation. I mean, do, you, do, you, do we get that? We, we, God, God took care of the issues between us. So that now we can help take care of issues between other people and God. We ministers of, we've been reconciled so that we can be ministers of reconciliation. Amen? And, you know, as I read through the Word, I like to illustrate it in my head. You know, I like to think it through. And I was reading a story about Peter and John walking to the temple one day. And so think about it. Peter and John are just walking to the temple like every good religious person, like every good, you know, good man and woman of God. They walk into the temple. Because it's, it's the right day. It was, this, you know, it was the Sabbath. It was the day to go to the temple. So, like many of you this morning, you know, we got dressed. We did what we had to do. And we were walking to the temple, right? And it says that as they were walking to the temple, they came across a lame beggar that was at the, at the front gate. At the gate called Beautiful. So there was a beautiful gate. And, and, the, and the, the beggar was sitting by, by, the, by the gate where he was all the time. Now, it, it, the word tells us that somebody came and brought him and put him there every, every temple day, every Sabbath, every. So, I mean, that was just every. So, you know what? That means we knew, right? Those of us that have been to church four or five times, we knew we were going to see the lame man there at the gate because we saw him four times in a row. 
So, so some of us, I know some of you are really good people. Some of you would, when you went to Dunkin' Donuts this morning and picked up a bagel and a coffee, some of you are so good that you'd pick up an extra coffee. Right? And, and because you knew the beggar was going to be there in the morning. And so you'd come to sanctuary and, and you see them as, here, brother. You know, and by now you know that he likes it light and sweet or he likes it with 19 sugars. You know, or, or however, you, you know already. Some of you probably good and kind enough that you would bring him a bagel, a bagel with the coffee. You know, because you knew you were going to pass them. You know, it would make you feel good. It would make you feel real, real, real holy and religious, right? It would make you feel like, yeah. You know, I didn't wear, you know, and, and when Jesus says, you know, where you fed me and you clothed me, he'd be like, yeah, I did it. The man's downstairs at the gate and I brought him coffee. I brought him a medium. I didn't even get cheap with him. I kicked it up to a medium combo, right? I got him a bagel with butter. I didn't even get asked for the old ones. I got him one that I would eat. Woo, right? And so you feel good about yourself, so you can get up in church, right? But it says, you know, that they, that, that, that day, probably some people did that. Probably some ignored him. Right? Obviously. You know, how, how you know there's always a guy begging. Like, uh, there's a couple of stops on the highway where you spin around. And there's always a guy with, I'm homeless, I have AIDS, feed me. All, all the time. And so you know, so some of you knew he was there. And so you, you use that, you time it so that as you're walking, you knew as soon as you get to the beggar, you knew to turn this way and make believe, you know, and not, and not see him. If I don't see him, it's okay. Right? Come on, admit it. Right? You know where he is. You know where he's going to be. So you use that moment to just time yourself. Three, four, bam. Yeah. No, because, I mean, that's what we're going to do. You know, yeah, you know. And then you go upstairs and ignore him. And you got scot-free because if you didn't make eye contact with him, it's not he didn't ask you. And you didn't deny him. You're still a good person. You could still come upstairs and worship. There might have been, so I'm sure there might have been people that brought him coffee, people that brought him donuts, people, people that ignored him. There might have been those, you know, that threw him a nickel or something, threw him a shackle, you know, and be like, God bless you. The Lord loves you. And, and, you know, when I say, there might have been some that, that threw him a shackle or two, right? And, and I bet you, but I bet you maybe even that day there was a committee meeting early that morning in the church talking about how do we get all these beggars away from the temple gates? Right? There might have been a committee meeting that morning saying, what are we going to do to get rid of these? Should we call the police? Should we call some kind of shelter? But we need to get them because they're dirtying the temple entrance. It doesn't look good. The temple gate called beautiful. It doesn't look good when there's beggars, lame people, hurt, dirty, smelly people at the gate. So there might have been a committee meeting that day, meeting to see how they could get them away. But that day, Peter and John come. And I love to you know, illustrate this in my head. And, and like, you know, this is, this might not be, they might not be used to seeing him, so this might be the first time they see him, but they come, or maybe they just had a good time with Jesus the day before, and they just like feeling real powered up, you know, real faithful. And so they see him, and the guy says, can I have a, can I have money? He asks for alms. And so when he asks, um, immediately it says, um, Peter's just full of the spirit. That means he was in the spirit before he got to church. Isn't that good? That means he was already walking in the spirit before he got to church. Some of you wait to get here to the third song to get in the spirit. I got issues with that. Right? Because there's not enough time. Then we'd have to have worship for four hours. So some of y'all could catch up and get, oh, yeah, I'm starting to feel it now. Yeah, yeah. But by that time, everybody else is tired and bored. We're wasted already because we came in the spirit, some of us. All right, but that's a whole other message. 
Sorry. So, so he asked him, you know, can I get a, can I get a shekel or something? Can, can you just give a brother a quarter or something? You know, come on, give a brother something. Spare, spare something. Right? And, and Peter says, listen, brother, silver. He says, look at me. Look at me. And so the guy looked him in the eyes, expecting to maybe have a dollar or something big. You know, because he said, look at me, because I, I want you to, sh- you know, see that I'm going to give you some money. And so he looked at him and said, yeah. And he, and he tells him, the word says, he says, silver and gold I don't have. So right there, the guy probably said, this knucklehead is going to tell me something I don't even need to know. He got no money. But he says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Then he takes it a step further. Some of us might have been bold enough to say that, but he takes it a step further. He, then it says that he grabbed his hand and pulled him up. You Picture now. This is a man that had been crippled from birth. That means the legs never worked. If you understand that in, in the physical, there's no muscles, there's no tendons, nothing is, is right there. The, the legs were always crippled. They never opened. They never supported weight. So how many of you know that's a bold move to go and yank the brother up? I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do it. So how many of you know that's a bold move to yank the brother up? It's, it's pretty bold. I, I, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know if I would have went that far. You know, I would have prayed for the brother and the Lord, amen, you know, and, and keep walking to the temple. But, but he took it a step further and kind of pulled him up, amen. And so what he said without all the fancy talk is he looked him in the eye and he said, I free you. And that's the title of this message. I free you. His presence liberated him. Could anybody here today identify with this man? He was over 40 years old. He had been crippled from birth. Here's a man that has always been less than. He had never been inside the temple. He always sat just outside the temple gate. He saw everyone going in and going out every day. He was placed there every morning. Pretty safe to assume he had never been inside. He had never been in the in crowd. He had never been popular. He had never been part of the popular crowd. He was 40. He probably looked 80. Can anybody identify with that? Can anybody identify with always feeling less than, never feeling complete, never feeling good enough, never having hope, no joy? This guy had nothing to look forward to until Peter said, I free you. And then the word says something incredible. It gets even better. It says, after he stood up and leaped and jumped. Can you imagine always being like this? Always, always, always never knowing what it is to stand up. So you always got to look up at people. You always got to break your neck. You're always looking up at people. And never ever being up on your feet on anybody's level. Is that going to do something to your insecurity? Is that going to build something in you? Is that going to just tell you that, dude, you're worthless, dude. You're three feet tall. You're worthless. You know what I'm saying? You, you can never even stand up and talk to me like a man. You can never be a man. You understand all that's involved with that? Right? You can never be a man. You can never have a relation like a man. You understand? So, so this man was always felt less than. So it says that after he leaped and jumped and, and praised God, it says in the word that he entered the temple with them, walking and praising God. How many of you think that was the most excited brother in the church? You think? 
You think? I, I think he made me look shy. He made Sal look shy. He made us all look bad. Cause, cause this man never walked before and now he's walking. Just because somebody said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just because the power of that name, this man is now walking, trust me, he's out praising all of you. Trust me, he's gonna out praise all of you. And then, and then the thing is, then the people that recognize him, Right? The guy that brought him coffee every morning, he felt good, man, because he'd done something. Those people that ignored him, I, I imagine how they felt. But now he's in the temple praising. He's praising God and, and, and going crazy. Their presence liberated this lame man. Now think about it. On the way to church this morning, you passed someone. You passed by the house of someone. That you know is lame, not necessarily in the legs, but someone that you know is bound. Someone that you know is hurting. Someone that you know is stuck at the temple gate and they've never felt welcomed or invited in the temple. Think about it. You pass someone on the way today that (coughs) either had never felt welcomed in church. Because why? Because they've probably been to some churches and somebody told them, Sister, you should not wear that makeup. The Lord is telling me that you should wear pants. Or, or, or brother, you have a tattoo. I'm, I'm going to suggest that you sit in the back. Or, or just, you know, if you don't have a tie on, maybe we can, can we give this brother a jacket or a tie or something? Cause, cause we, we're not comfortable with the way you look in our presence here. And so, you know, for whatever reason, or, or because when, when, the, when the pastor said go hug somebody, everybody looked at him, and the way, the way he was dressed, or the way she was dressed, they're like, don't hug that. And, you know, husbands looked at their wives and said, you better not go hug that girl. And I don't recommend that anyway. You, you understand? We should be wise anyway. But this, we passed people this morning on the way in that feel less than, that have never been invited or felt comfortable in the temple, inside the church. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time your presence liberated someone? Ask ask yourself, when was the last time you turned to somebody and said, I free you? And it might have sounded different. It might have sounded like, I forgive you. Because when you forgive somebody, you free them. It might have sounded like, I love you. Because some people never hear those words. And then some people throw it around like it don't mean nothing. You know, I like definitions. I like quotes and definitions. So you guys know, right? I like quotes and definitions. So the def- I looked up liberate. And liberate means to set free from a situation, especially imprisonment or slavery, in which their liberty is severely restricted. Second definition. To set free from enemy occupation. Third definition. To set free from a state or a situation that limits freedom of thought or behavior. Now, all of these definitions are all messages for us. We need to liberate people that's been imprisoned or slavery from restriction. You know why? Because religion has enslaved people for years. For years. I mean, good religion, bad religion, all kinds of crazy religion. It's enslaved people for years. Even religion that loves Jesus and praises God has enslaved people for years. So, so we need to, you know, we need to liberate those kind of people. We need to liberate folks that have been, that, that have enemy occupation. Let's face it, some folks just need deliverance. Right? Some people just need to be delivered from stuff. 
Because they've opened the doors in their lives so much that there's so much enemy occupation going on in their home and in their lives. How do we open those doors? The movies we watch, the music we listen to, the, the stuff that we let get in, that's an open door. Right? And, and all of that stuff opens the doors to enemy occupation. And you can say, well, yeah, but I go to church. and Yeah, so what? You go to church two hours on, on once a week. Who's preaching to you the whole rest of the week? Right? What open doors are you have? Who cares if, if, you, if, if you're letting a, a, a scripture to get in on a Sunday? If the rest of the week you're, you're just driven by, well, Leo, if I'm a Leo, then that means that today I will have... Where'd that come from? Well, who's, who's telling you this? You understand? Open doors. Open doors to enemy occupation. So we need, some people just need deliverance, man. We need to free people from, from enemy occupation. Some, some people, we need to liberate people from a state of mind. I love this one. That limits their thoughts or behaviors. I love that one. I, I like to shock people. You might notice that by now. That rubs some of you the wrong way. I wish I could say I'm sorry, but um, I do it on purpose. I confess. I, I do it with a motive. I confess. I have a hidden agenda. I confess. I do it because some people say things just because they heard it, and I hate that. Some people say things just because, you know, some people do things just because other people do things, and I hate that. Some people believe things just because other people believe things, and I hate that. I hate when, when, you know, I have to hear that, oh, you should never bring drinks into the sanctuary. The Lord is not pleased with that. Who told you that? Surely you went to some church and they told you you better not have that. Find it in the word of God and then we'll discuss it. Otherwise, keep your religion in your suit and leave me alone. Keep it in your pocket. You understand what I'm saying? I hate when people do things because other people have said things. Perfect example, how many of you know that Jesus lives in Miami? Right? You haven't watched Nightline or any of those, those, those things? Jesus lives in Miami. His name is De Jesus. He's a Puerto Rican guy that's been, you know, has a couple of DUI, DWI record and a couple of, but that doesn't matter. Right? He still drinks and curses and does whatever. And that doesn't matter. He, he has the mark of the beast and tattooed on him, but that doesn't matter. He's having his daughters and his family and everybody in his congregation tattooed 666 on his neck, but that doesn't matter. But be, because, what, and, and they interviewed and the kids are brainwashed and the people call him Poppy and, and Poppy says this and Poppy says that. What happened to Poppy from the Bible? Where, where is this man getting this stuff from? But it's the perfect example of people just doing things because other people say it. I, I, got, I confess to you, I listen to sermons all the time, and sometimes I hear some good stuff. You know, I hear like a good illustration. I said, did you know that, you know, the word fear in the Hebrew means this, and that means that when you break it down, it means that you're, and I hear it, and I'm like, whoa, I got to use that. That's hot. But before I do, I go research. And so I go to the fear in the word Hebrew, and I said, hold up, that doesn't, that's not the word he used. And I said, okay, surely there's another. And so I dig deeper and deeper because I really want to use that. That was a good, I liked it, it was powerful. But it was meaningless. I can't tell you how many times I did this. 
Because you hear something that's good, it really, it really tickles you where you itch. You know what I'm saying? It scratches you where you itch, and, and it feels good. But, but it's not truth. And so why say things that are not truth? Why believe things that are not truth? You're, it's foolishness. Amen? So, I mean, that's the perfect... I, so I like to shock people. My hidden agenda, I like to shock people because I like to force them to reboot. Sometimes I'll do something, and, and people look at me like... And they start, and even my my staff sometimes look at each other and go, oh boy, how are we going to explain this one? You know, I know they get uncomfortable sometimes, you know, and, and they just pray, I hope, I hope, you know, that at least they tell me, they pray, I hope God is leading this one, and I hope and pray that he knows what he's doing with this one. But I like to shock people because I like to force them, I like to press the reset button on, on, on some people. You know, how many of you had to reboot your computers? Raise your hand if you had to reboot your computers. Look, all PC users, all of them. <laughs> all of you are PC users. You had to reboot. I'm sorry. I'm a Mac guy. But anyway, um, I, 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 like, I worked at a help desk for a lot of years, right? And most, I have to tell you, eight out of ten problems, when people call with the deparate that they were having with their computers, I would go to their computer, go to their desk, shut down, reset. It would boot up and it would work again. And they'd, I'd be like the hero. It was a great job because I was the man. Everybody would look at me like, how did you know that? <laughs> well, what did you do? What did you do? And I would never tell them, but, you know, we had a joke at the help desk. You just reboot. Just restart. That'll fix eight out of ten problems with a PC. Right? And so I like to force people to reboot because you know what, what you're doing when you reset a computer? You're, you're erasing from the memory, from the cache of the computer. You're erasing all of the erroneous commands that, that the user's been giving it. All of the things that you've been, you've been banging. You know when people are impatient and they, they click and it doesn't happen? Escape, control, or delete, escape, control. And then they call the help desk. Oh, she, she does that? So what happens? These are all commands that the computer is getting. It's getting all these commands. It's locked up. It has all these commands to figure out what to do. It's just when you reset, it erases all the commands that it has stored and it restores the original commands that it was built to work on. So, so what you... When you shock people, it, it, you know, my hidden agenda, and, and it's, it's something, it forces people to rethink. Because when, you, when I say something that might not be common, or might not be what you would hear at a church, or, or might not be, it forces you to say, hold up. I, see, I want to force people to go to the Word. I want to force people to check with God. I want to force people. I never want to build people that would just follow me because I'm me. You understand? That's danger. That's dangerous when you follow somebody because you like their personality, you like their charisma, you like that he runs up and down and sweats and just goes crazy because it's fun to watch him. He's entertaining. Be careful because I could be way off. And, and be careful because just because I can tell you 2 Corinthians 3.14 says, if you don't know what that says, I can make it up. You understand? But I still sound like I'm preaching. Because 2 Corinthians 3.14 says that you don't need to be with your wife if, if your wife doesn't supply everything that you need. 2 Corinthians 3.14 is, and I don't even know what that verse is, by the way. Somebody should check it out. 2 Corinthians 3.14 says 
that, that if your wife gives you trouble, you should leave her and find another one. Clearly. And, and you could believe that. And so I like to shock people to force them to rethink, to force them to go back to the original commands that they were created to run on. That's good. I like that. You want to know what that command is? You want to know what the original command that was, that, that, that's in your BIOS for your computer nerds? The original command that's in the BIOS, that's in the, the thing that your computer reads as it boots up. And, and with the original command, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, and this is for real, but you can still check it. It says, love the Lord your God. He says, the greatest command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to liberate people? Love on somebody. You'll be amazed how liberated people get when they get loved on. I think, I think the hug ministry in the morning, it liberates people. I really believe that's the only reason I do it. Not because I want to grab some extra hugs. You know, I get a plenty of hugs. I got a big family. I could get a lot of hugs. But I believe hugging somebody liberates somebody. Because it's like, dude, I love you enough to come over here and hug you. At least I like you enough to come over and hug you. You mean something to me. It liberates somebody. Thank you, Sal. And so, you know, the bottom line, I want you to understand that if it didn't come from the Word, if it just came from some tradition that kept people shut out of fellowship with God, I don't want it here. I don't don't want it. If, If it came from the Word, now understand, let's set it in stone. Because I don't want compromise, and I won't compromise His Word just not to offend some of you. It's easier to grow a church as long as I don't offend people. How do I not offend people? Well, ask Jesus in Miami. Guess what? There's no sin and there's no death and there's no hell. Isn't that wonderful? He preaches that there is no no, um, hell and there's no sin. So I can't possibly offend you because anything you do, who cares? Live however the heck you want to live. Just, there's no sin. You understand? So, so, you know, I want you to understand, I don't want compromise. He, and here's how we could understand it. The message is unchanging. The message never, never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. The same things that grieved him today, grieved him a hundred years ago. Just because we allow certain things today, right? We've lifted our standards, right? Or lowered our standards. And so we've allowed certain things. We, we, there's a whole listing of stuff. You know, you can say one F word in, in a PG-13. You can say 16 F words in an R-rated. You could, you could show one gratuitous booby shot in a PG. But you can show one naked booty in, in, you know what I'm saying? There's all these limits, and, and those keep changing. You understand? And then, and then there's limits um, on the radio. After seven, you could drop the F-bomb. After, after nine, you could, you could say God, you know, and use his name in vain left and right. But before four, you, you know, you have to go, but you have to bleep the F-word. There's standards that are constantly changing. So just because we've changed doesn't mean the Spirit of God has changed. What grieved him 300 years ago still grieves him today. So, so you know, I, I love arguing with kids who tell me, so what? It's PG-13. I'm 18. <laughs> By whose standard is it PG-13? By the standard of 
the world, and, and the world is controlled by who? Who sets these standards? So, so thank you, Satan, that you allow my kids to only have one F word in, in a PG-13 movie and just two boobies in a PG. Thank you, Satan. Is, is that how we want to live? So understand, the message is just because we accept it doesn't mean God is cool with that. God is just as relevant today as he was back then. The message never changes, but the methods are all ever changing. The method has to change. That's where we get stuck. And, and you know, if, if this can't be the same church today that your great-grandmother came from, because if we were, many of you would not be here. You understand? And I'm blessed to have grandmas and grandpas and great-grandpas. And, you know, I never thought I'd have, I'd have gray-haired people in the church. I said, man, God's going to stick me with you for the rest of my life. I'm never going to have, like, adults to talk to. I'm always going to have youth. You know, so I'm so blessed to have some of you that, you, and, and I understand, you know, that the rock kind of style that we throw down here might not be your preference. I understand that the volume might not be your preference. But I'm blessed by those of you great grandmas and grandpas that come because you get excited and you tolerate the loudness and you tolerate the style because you get excited that young people are filling the church. You get excited that God is doing something. And so, and so you're not stuck on, on always looking back at the sound booth saying, right? We used to come from a place, right? And they worship and worship. It's, listen, it's a kingdom thing. If you, if you want to go to a nursing home, go to a nursing home and have a great time. But this is, this is, has to be an alive, a vibrant body. Amen? If the volume, then sit toward the back. Amen? But don't come up here and complain. You're right by the speaker. The place is small. Understand? God bless you. God bless you. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has set us free. What do you think for? To live a free life. Break it down in the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin. God has set us free to be free. Amen? Look what he says. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am, and Paul says, I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-worn gift is freedom and, and is squandered. In Christ, in verse 6, it says, For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard for religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. So what matters is love. Love is all that matters. The key to being free is giving and receiving love. You want your presence to liberate somebody? Love on them. Peter could have, couldn't pass the lame man and live with himself. He couldn't pass that guy and, and if he didn't do something. And so he did something. He loved him. It meant he had to step out. It meant he had to get dirty. It meant he had to be associated with a different... You don't understand the class system back then. You, you're a Hebrew, then you're a Hebrew. If you're a Gentile, then you're a Gen- you're less than. If you're, you know what I'm saying, there was a serious, we, it still exists today, but not as powerful as it was then. So, for someone to cross classes and, and, and actually touch somebody, how many times did Jesus, you know, touch a leper? That's, 
that's forbidden. You can't do that. You can't cross that kind of class barrier. So he had to associate with him. Do you know he got in trouble for it? If you read the passage, he got in so much trouble for, for, for healing the man. Is that ridiculous? He got in trouble for healing the lame man. Not only in trouble, do you know he spent, him and, him and John spent the night in jail? Now listen, some of us here have been arrested, but it wasn't for healing lame men. Right? Let's be honest, right? Some of us seen the inside of a, of a jail cell, but it wasn't because we, because we healed a man on the wrong day of the week or something. He tasted jail just because he did that, but he didn't care. Church, we have to be willing to be who God created us to be. Do we, do we get that? I've spoken to people, and listen, this is all the time. I speak to people who really want to hear from God, and they want God to use them in a specific ministry. They want God to use them in a specific way. So they pray, and that's a good thing. And so they read the Word of God and sometimes, and that's a good thing too. And so sometimes they even come to church, and that's good. But the key is they're still waiting for some specific word, for God to, to write it in the clouds, you know, for God to put it up on the screen. You know, and, and, and they sit. And sitting is not good. Say amen. What I found from my personal experience is that God doesn't steer parked cars. Amen. Now, God taught me this lesson before I was even saved. I bought my first new car. It was my first new car purchase. Okay, it was my only new car purchase. It was the only new car I ever bought in my life, but okay. It was 1988, and, and, why you laugh? The year was 1988, and, and I went to buy a, a, an Acura Integra. That joint had just come out. It was hot. Everybody that had an Integra, it was, be- it was the coolest car out in 88. I picked out the interior color. I picked out the pattern. I picked out the exterior color. I picked out the gloss. I picked out the tire size. I picked it. I had it all. I had my research. So my mommy came down with me to Martin's Manhattan Acura. And we went in there, we laid everything down. I was ready to give her all my, rec- you know, all my requirements for the car. They ran a credit check, and, and boom, we did all the paperwork. And um, they sent me over to Martin's Manhattan Hyundai. And so two weeks later, I was picking up my brand new car, a Hyundai XL GL hatchback. I got the hatchback because at least it looked a little like the Integra. That's what I try to tell myself. But anyway... Stella was a brand new car. It wasn't my Acura, but it was a brand new car. New, new car. And so I had to pick it up on a Saturday, and my father came with me, and they had it parked on the sidewalk. It was just up on the sidewalk. My, my brand new silver bullet um, Hyundai, XL, G, Hyundai XL hatchback. And so I got in the car. I had to do the inspection. I looked around. There was no dings. There was like 11 miles on the thing. And I was excited, right? I opened it up, you know, ding, ding, everything. It started fine, you know. It was a brand new car. I sat in the car. I'm ready to go. My father sits in the car, signed all the paperwork. <coughs> I'm ready to drive this thing off the sidewalk and, and go home. I got a brand new car. You know, that had to be like the scariest moment in your life because you don't want to pick up the car and crash it the same day. So I just wanted to get it, to park it, and leave it alone for like four days. So at least I can say I had the car for four days before I hit it. 
You know, you get that, that fear, right? So I get in the car. My father's in the car. I start the car. And I said, let me, I have to cut the wheel tight to, to go to where the, the, the sidewalk goes down. So I start, and I can't turn the wheel. I said, man, what's going on? It's in drive. It, the car's running. But the wheel won't turn. I said, the car's broke. I got mad. I was upset. I went to the dealer. I went back inside there. Brother, this car's not working. The steering wheels, I'm heated. You know, I'm, I'm upset. My brand new car's not working. I'm going to have to wait another week or something for them to give me another car. I was angry. And so the guy says, what do you mean the wheel don't turn? So he comes out to me and he starts, rah, 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 and he turns the wheel. I said, yeah, but look how hard you're pulling. I'm mad. Look how you pull. He said, that's rack and pinion steering, sir. That's that's how it works. You know, I had only driven jalopies that had the power steering, so it was real easy. But my Hyundai Excel wasn't equipped with power steering. So, so it's rack and pinion steering, which means there's no power assisting you. You are the power. Anybody driven one of those cars with rack and pinion steering? Come on, don't play yourselves. No? Man. They consoled me by saying a lot of the real high-end sport cars only have power rack and pinion. So I felt a little better. My Hyundai and, and the Porsche has rack and pinion steering. So, so I felt like an idiot, of course. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, there's nothing broken with it. I just got to really muscle it. And, and so, so then what I found is it was so hard when you're standing still to steer this thing, to turn the wheel. Parking, I, that year I got a little buffed, you know, because just from parking that little car in Manhattan. You know, I started developing pectorals, and I was like, yeah. Just from parking this car, I'm getting stronger. Press, you know, praise God. But what I found is once you're driving, the hand is steers fine. Because when the car is moving, come on, come on. That's circling around some of your heads. It's going to get in your heart in a minute. When the car is moving, it's easy to steer it. So see, God doesn't waste his effort and his energy trying to steer cars that are parked. Do you get where I'm going? Hey, because what's the point? The car is parked. The car is off. Why, why, why the Lord says, why should, I, why should I waste my time steering, pointing you in the right direction? You're not going to go anywhere. Thank you. That deserved a woo or something. It's easier to steer a car that is moving. Proverbs 3, 6, then I found it in the Word. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path and make them straight. You know how I interpret that? In all your ways, that means in your ways, in your coming and going, in your daily routines, in your actions, in your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. There's action in that passage. It isn't sit, read, pray, fast, wait, 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 sit, read, pray, fast. No! It's action! It's, 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 it's hear from God and move. And it's just, you know, but the way we have to look at it, I've found that if you love God, listen to me, if you love God and you just set your eyes on Jesus and head in that general direction, even if you're off a little bit, it says he will direct your path. Even if, even if you're, you're, you're not going to hit the mark at this, at this rate, God, God says, I will make your path straight. 
As long as you acknowledge me in all your ways, I will make your path straight. Listen, some of you are on crooked paths right now. Let's be honest. Be honest with yourself. Some of you, been, you're way off and you know that if, if today was the finish line, you'll be nowhere near the path. And God is just saying today, listen, just acknowledge me because I can get you here from there. I can get you here from there. MapQuest might send you around. Google Maps might get you lost. But if you acknowledge me, I can get you here from there. Amen? See, when I was liberated from sin and from religion and from superstition back in 89, you know, after, after I got free, I knew that God had a plan for my life, a plan to prosper me, a plan to give me hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. Amen? So, so I, 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 I was sitting in church that day and, and I knew that God wanted something. I knew I couldn't sit still anymore. And so they asked for the front, listen, we need help with the Royal Rangers. And so I said, oh, Royal Rangers? That's like, you know, Boy Scouts? I said, I am a tent pitching, fire starting, not tying. I've done this. I'm an Eagle Scout before, you know, so I can help with the Royal Rangers. I said, yes. And I volunteered. Surely that was the path that God had for my life. He had prepared me for it, right? So what happens? I volunteer for the Royal Rangers. These kids beat me down, man. They, my first day at Royal Rangers, I had a little earring. And the kid said, you got an earring? I thought you were a Christian. I, said, I was humbled by these kids. They messed me up. There were kids from the projects over there, the Throckneck projects. They messed me up. But anyway, in, 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 in walking through that, I was off. But I was moving. And so in that ministry, I formed relationships with a couple that was doing youth ministry. And, and one day through that relationship, I ended up being a chaperone at a youth retreat. And I remember at that youth retreat, I hated teenagers. I hated young people. They, I hated them with a passion. They were intimidating. They were obnoxious. They were rude. They were, I hated them. And, and so I was at this retreat. I'll be honest with you. I was praying for the retreat to end, not praying for the kids. I was not. I said, Jesus, bring Saturday night quicker. (laughs) Jesus, I have to get home. I hate these kids. I can't stand them. Look at them. There's an altar call and half of them are asleep. Half of them are chewing. Half of them are trying to get numbers from the neighboring churches. I hate these kids. God can do nothing with these kids. They're lost. They're waste. That was my prayer. On that first youth retreat, God sent somebody from that didn't know me from, I ended up meeting him later on and, and knowing him. God sent somebody from way across town, way across the bleachers. He came up to me and he sat down. He said, the Lord sent me to you. And, and he said that you should not be discouraged about your youth. And right there I chuckled. You bugging. You, you have missed the call, brother, because these are not my youth. I'm praying to be gone. And, and he kept speaking and speaking to me. And God says, you're going to do this. And you're going to build this. And you're going to build young men and women for God. And you're going to speak at crowds. And you're going to speak to youth groups. And you're going to have influence over youth ministries. And you're going to have an asset. And, and I was like, no, resisting it and fighting it. And then I just gave in and started crying. And God, I knew that was my call. I knew. See, I was heading this way, Royal Rangers. I thought I could tie knots better than anybody. This is where God wants me. But on my way, God said, I'll make your path straight. I'll straighten it. And so it took, a, it took you know, in, in 11 years, he, he was twisting this thing. And, and I started loving young people. And trust me, it's hard to love Manny and Sal and Mark when, when they hate you and make fun of you every, every Friday. 
It was hard. It was hard to tell Manny and Sal, you know, as thugged out as they were. You know, they were little thugs, you know. Yo, 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 yo. Thugged out, all thugged out, all hard. And, and, and I'm like, God, God told me to tell you I love you. And I had to tell him every week that I had to do that every week. Say, yo, I try to make it hard, you know. Yo, I love you, bro. Yo, you know I love you, right? But it was still soft, right? It's I still love you to this thug. And I had to say it every week. And it became in me. And it became something I just said. And I would end the message and say, I love you guys. Just know that I love you. Know that I love you. And then it got to the point where I wasn't embarrassed anymore. I would just tell Manny and say, yo, I love you, man. Okay. It came at a time of testing in both of their lives, at a cross point, where they, I guess, had to ask, who loves me? And they said, wait, that monkey from, that Cuban has been telling me he loves me for four years, I think. Let me see if he loves me. And so they call me, and, and I'm there. And I was there at their, I was there when they got promoted to karate, to black belt. I was there at their black belt competition. I was there at their events. I was there when they rapped in the street. I was there. I was just there. I was there. I was there. I love you. Now they're here. Amen? Now they're here. And, and I just see that as God telling me, I love you. I love you. Now Sal, don't end an email to me without saying, love you, brother man. As long as you say brother man at the end, it's, you know, it's cool. Brother man, love you. Right, we're still men. We could be men about it. I'm not trying to build sissy men here either. You know, don't, don't get me twisted. I want men that are sword carrying, pistol wearing men. Amen? But still bold enough and still humble and still have a, a gentle spirit in them to say, I love you, man. Because we need that, Right? So, so what happened? God used that and called me to youth ministry. Then you're doing youth ministry for about 11 years. God, God started putting in my heart, brother, we need to deal with the whole family now. And I said, oh, you're crazy. Not me. You know, just put me somewhere else then. Send me someplace where, where I can work and help to heal whole families. And, and God was just calling me out. God was just saying, it's time to go. It's time to, to, to work on the whole families. And so, listen, we took a step of faith. You heard, we, we became this little, little church in my house. And the first service was so packed that we said, we can't meet here next week. Because I heard this one was coming, and this one was bringing this one, and this one. We can't meet in my house next week. And so we looked around, and in the spur of the moment, God provided that little place over there on Beach Avenue. Praise God that some of you have been here with me since that time. And so we rented that little place, and we met there. And it was horrible, but, but it was good because, you know, 20, 30 of us meeting, and, and God met every need. We had to pay rent. We had to pay things. We had to buy chairs. We had to, you know, we bought the real cheap chairs at the, at the Odd Lot store. And so every time, you know, my, kinda, my hefty guys would, ah! And so after every service, we lost two or three chairs. And so the chairs would dwindle, so we got to buy more. I mean, it was, it was like a step of faith, you understand? And then we took a step of faith. We came to see this place, and, got, and the landlord said $4,000 a month. Plus water, plus electric, plus utility, plus insurance, plus, you know, plus, plus, plus. And we looked at our account. And we said, we can't do that. There's like four families and a lot of friends. We can't do that. And so we prayed and we came here and we said, yeah, let's do it. And again, it was a last minute decision. We told the church the week before, right? We told the church that Sunday. We said, hey, church, next week we're meeting up the block, around the pizza, and upstairs. And they're like, what? Yeah, we got a new place. 
you know, all 20 of you. We're going to go around the block and we're going to go upstairs. So I could have just emailed all of you because we were all, it was, it was small, right? It was tight. But we, we met and we said, listen, we're coming into this place and we don't have time or money to do anything in the place. So we're just going to come in and use it. And little by little as a church, remember I told you guys as a church, we'll build this thing up and we'll make it nice. And I think we've done a pretty nice job. Together as a church, amen, as a family. I, I rejoice because I didn't do this. We did it. We did this thing. We made this the living room that we all have an extended living room now. And, and I'm so blessed that the time has come again. We can stay this way, right? We can stay this way and I know that we just wouldn't grow. And I believe God wants us to grow. I believe that God wants to use us to infect the rest of the kingdom of God with freedom. Amen? I, I believe we, God's calling us to William Wallace, the kingdom of God. To, to just free, free, free churches. Amen? And, and so I'm involved with a network of churches I've been telling you. And I love getting together with these guys because we're, we're, we're hitting each other. We're challenging each other. And it's good. Amen? I'm not saying like this is the only church that got it. No. There's awesome men and women of God and awesome pastors in the Bronx that we're working together and we're all focused doing the same thing. Amen? So, I say all that to, I want to encourage you to stop sitting. Come out Wednesdays. Be part of prayer. On every Wednesday, those of you that know that you come out, there's prayer and prophetic ministry. That means that might freak some of you out, I know, but they'll sit you in a group of, of people, and these people are just going to pray, and they're going to hear from God, and they're going to start speaking into your life. This, this past week, just to, to tell you something that I thought was kind of funny, it was in, in, one, of, in one of the groups, somebody, somebody you know, when, when Gary asked, what do you see for this lady, what do you see? And somebody said, I see red or burgundy wallpaper. Oh, that was you? Sorry. You just shouted yourself out. I wasn't going to point. I didn't. You said, yeah. Play it off. I didn't want to shout you out. But you, you know what I'm saying? And, and so it's just that kind of that thing that God wants to use us. God, it's, God is not about titles. God is not about the pastor or about the worship team. God is about the kingdom. Amen? And so I, I want you to take advantage of this time. Come out to these classes. Be equipped and then be released. And so here's how I want to end today. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Just kind of, kind of zone out from everybody around you for a moment. That's good. And just, just receive right now. Just understand that, that God is, and I, and I feel this heavy in my heart. God is saying, if you move, I'll steer. Some of us have thought that that um, giving God giving God a, a place in our lives is is like giving Him one of those uh, driving instructor cars where we're letting Him sit on the side and we're we're giving Him a gas pedal and a stop pedal so He can at least stop us from major catastrophe. But God is saying, No, I don't want the extra gas pedal or the extra brake. I want the steering wheel. Let me steer. Let me let me direct you. Skip to the back. Sit in the back of the car. Because you trust me so much. So right now, just bow your heads and listen. In Jesus' name, I free you from your past hurts. I free you from past abuse. 
I free you from fear. I free you from insecurity. I free you from low self-esteem. I free you from guilt and from shame. I free you from condemnation. I free you from depression. I free you in Jesus' name from feeling that you're not worthy. I free you from deception. I free you from seduction. I free you from traps. I free you from burdens. And now in Jesus' name, I free you to step out in faith. I free you to forgive and accept forgiveness. I free you to love and accept love. I free you to pray, to read, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. I free you to walk in power and authority. I free you to be reconciled to God and to be ministers of reconciliation. I free you to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I free you to say to the sick you're healed. I free you to say to the blind you can see. I free you to say to the lost you can walk. I free you to say to the lost and the lame, follow me. I free you to rise above any circumstance that has been hindering you. I free you to understand that you have full access to the throne room of God. I free you to be free and I free you from this service today. Thank you for supporting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless.